This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 14 of Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we have Dr. Tom Shell from Novell Research to talk about curcumin and turmeric. In Tigopedia, we're going to talk about fly sprays. And in the Critter Nutrition Corner, we're going to talk about the effects of stress and how it relates to the brain and the GI tract. In Coffee Clutch, we actually are going to talk about vacations with our dogs. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> This is Tigger Montague. And this is Patty Perucci. And you're listening to Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Tiggerella. <laughs> we got a great show. Patty P. Oh my gosh. Dr. Turmeric. I know. You yeah. warned me. I, I did. I, I That guy and I can get on the phone and nonstop talk about food, turmeric, curcumin, inflammation, the GI tract for hours. And it goes nice hand in hand with uh, critter nutrition. It does. The, the relationship to stress and, yeah. and cortisol and, of course, the resulting inflammation. Yeah. It Which all- has nothing to do with fly sprays, but it's it fly doesn't. season, so we need to, no, to talk about that in Tigger. It, it, it does relate, Tigger. Because my personality becomes inflamed every time I buy a can of toxic fly spray and it poisons Amen. everything, but it doesn't get rid of the flies. It Amen. does relate. That's true. Amen. That, yes. that's, true. that's a good point. That Very is true. <laughs> and when you're full of inflammation, the best thing you want to do is go on a vacation with your dog. You're right. Yes. Absolutely. It all ties together. It, it does. That's it does. how and you all, relate and all you, stress. <laughs> and all you have to do is ask Hedwig. Ask How she Hedwig. feels about that. That's that's a good heady question. That's a good heady question. <laughs> that, that, go vacation oh, with your dog. That the next one is where would you like to go on vacation? Oh, that ought to be good. <laughs> right? There we go. Well, uh, <laughs> la- ladies, it sounds to me like the circus is about to begin. <laughs> And we're here with Dr. Tom Shell from Nobel Research in North Carolina. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. It's very good to be here. I appreciate the invite. Um, I, I I know you know this, but our listeners probably don't, that I have given you a nickname, which is <laughs> Dr. Turmeric, because I, I have found that in the equine and veterinary world, really nobody knows as much about turmeric as you do. Mm. So... I wanted Tom, or Dr. Turmeric, I should say, on the show so we could talk in more depth about turmeric. So, uh, you know, I'm going to begin with sort of the obvious, Tom, which is um, what what drew you to, you know, study and research turmeric? Mm, you know, that's kind of a, a long story. It, it goes back to um, back in the mid-2000s, so right around 2005, I was actually diagnosed with, with, uh, with cancer and uh, was going through some chemo and surgical treatments at that point in time, and um, I was a practicing veterinarian um, and um, was very familiar with the type of cancer that I had and uh, was seeing the downfalls and the negative side effects and the lack of efficacy with the treatments that um, I was undergoing, and um, I was so, you know, I was familiar with those treatments as a, as a vet because we use those same therapies for our patients. And uh, so long story short is essentially I wasn't making any progress with my own therapy. And one day a journal came across my desk with an article in there about uh, curcumin, actually, um, looking at uh, some cancer research that had been done on it. Can so you explain kind of- what curcumin is versus turmeric? Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I meant to throw the word turmeric in there, so I apologize for that. Now, so turmeric, turmeric is is the, the mother herb or curcumin longa, and so curcumin is actually one of the active ingredients in turmeric. So you have turmeric, the herb, 
Um, and of that, about two to four percent of turmeric is curcumin. So there's about two to four percent of curcumin, which is one of the main active ingredients present in turmeric itself, if that makes sense. So, yeah. you know, if we give a pound of turmeric, you know, two to four percent, depending on the harvest and the plant itself, is going to contain um, curcumin. So when we start to look at curcumin, that's the main active ingredient that is that is looked at in research. And, you know, Tigger, I know you and I have, have kind of talked about this last week, and we'll get into that if you would like to. But um, the research I was looking at that got me started on this was looking at a 95% curcumin extract um, with certain cancer studies. So long story short, I, I read the research, began to dive into it and utilize it in my own therapy, um, which, you know, I would like to knock on wood and say 10 years later, we're, we're golden and good and would like to give a lot of credit to that herb amongst many others. So that's how I got started down that road. How have you um, applied it in equine and, and animal uh, nutrition and supplements? So the story is with that is after I started to make some improvements myself clinically, health-wise, cancer-wise, um, I began to then apply it to our patients. So I was a primarily an equine practitioner. I was mixed animal by definition. Um, so we saw companion pets and the equine um, at our facility. So the, the biggest thing I was looking at with curcumin in our equine patients was mainly looking at the anti-inflammatory properties, which is, you know, how it demonstrates itself with, with the anti-cancer properties as well. So in a lot of our equine patients, we were doing a tremendous amount of joint injections, say, for instance, and looking at osteoarthritis in those guys, using a lot of medications, non-steroidals. And so I was very curious um, right around 2006 to see if, you know, could I apply this research to these guys, find the correct dosages that, that worked, and see if I couldn't get some of these patients off of the non-steroidals and maybe drop down our use of uh, steroid injections uh, intra-articularly. So... Back in 06, I think we did our first study that was published uh, looking at curcumin combined with a few other anti-inflammatory herbs, um, and uh, it was a 30-day trial looking at inflammatory proteins in the joints, clinical response to the patients, and uh, it, was, it was pretty successful. So that was the first step that we took, and then we began to utilize it pretty much on a daily basis in our practice. When, um, I mean, you have since formed a company, Curost. Um, mm -hmm. you're still heavily involved in research, which is something that I really love about what you do. Um, how would you, you know, advise, um, owners of horses and dogs, you know, how, how do they use turmeric or curcumin? What, what, what would be some of the pathologies that would lend themselves to this kind of plant? Well, that's that's a long story, so I would say take a deep breath and we'll ride this one out here. Um, kind of a big open-ended question. So the, the, the long story short is, is that, you know, you look at turmeric or, or we'll just use curcumin, um, you know, as the active ingredient. They're just one of many, many anti-inflammatory herbs. So people automatically think inflammation, they think a bruise or a pain in the muscle or a pain in the joint. But, you know, inflammation is is pretty much connected with every disease um, pathology that we can put a finger on from, you know, a, a horse with osteoarthritis to an elderly human with Alzheimer's disease um, to type 2 diabetes to cardiovascular disease to um, uh, Parkinson's um, to allergies, um, gastrointestinal problems. Okay, so... Most health conditions are tied into the inflammatory response. I think as we just mentioned, anything from allergies to cancer to diabetes, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, osteoarthritis, um, tendon injuries, ligament injuries, it's, it's all tied into inflammation. And most people think when you think of inflammation, you think of the acute phase of inflammation, which is basically, you know, five cardinal signs, which are redness, heat, pain, swelling, and loss of function. And that's true if you hit yourself, you know, with a, with a hammer you know, on your foot, um, you're going to experience all five of those stages and that's acute inflammation. But what we're mainly trying to target is, is the chronic inflammatory response. And that is what's tied into most health conditions that affect horses, pets, people, um, in today's day and age. And that's, that's an entirely another story, but in terms of, so how do you apply turmeric or curcumin? Well, 
the whole basis here is to try to curb the inflammatory response. We're not looking to shut it down. Um, in scientific lingo, we say down regulate. So, um, uh, we want inflammation to be present, but we want it to be present at a controlled or normal level. So we run into problems when the level gets too high. So as I like to refer to it to a lot of people, we can have maybe a scale of zero to 10 of inflammation. Zero would be no inflammation present. 10 would be excessive inflammation. So let's just say the average person, horse, dog is maybe at a five. So if we have different lifestyle influences, environmental factors, dietary factors, that's going to predispose us to a higher level of inflammation, maybe pushing seven, eight, maybe nine. Um, and that's going to contribute to health problems. So what we're looking to do is to downregulate it. We're looking to pull back on the reins a little bit, control it, get it back down to a level of, you know, five or six, um, if that makes sense. So yeah. we can apply and use turmeric or curcumin in any, any, any condition, any condition, you know, there's, there's not a single condition that I have not found benefit in using that herb with, uh, the ultimate question is, is, you know, is a lot of people email me and say, Hey, I would just like to use turmeric or I would like to just use curcumin. And, you know, and I do have my opinions on that, uh, which is, you know, a whole nother story. I don't know if we want to discuss that here tonight, but it's definitely got a lot of applications in anything from just open wounds to, um, you know, diabetic conditions or allergy conditions or glaucoma or ocular problems, allergies, uh, it goes on, you know, it's not just something for the joints, uh, but inflammation is tied into everything. So it's, it's very valuable. So when you're using, um, uh, curcumin extract, which is what you primarily use with the Curost formulas, how does the role of what the horse's diet is relate to the either effectiveness of curcumin or how quickly it can work in the body? Has there is have you seen a correlation? Um, you know, the ultimate question that everybody always raises because they read things online is the bioavailability or the absorption of curcumin. And, you know, it is true that there is a lot of research out there that says, hey, you know, it's very effective in test tube studies or in cell cultures, but, you know, we just can't seem to get high enough blood levels and, and people to really make it worthwhile. And, you know, I've, I've researched the herb for, for 10 years now, a little bit over, and I, I do agree that, that bioavailability is a factor in terms of, you know, we can give curcumin to a horse and uh, run serum assays on them and barely detect curcumin. Uh, or curcuminoids, you know, two hours post-ingestion. Um, so I, I agree with them there. But the the other side of the coin is, is that despite having very, very low levels um, in that horse's serum, two hours post-ingestion, for some reason, we are seeing reduction in inflammatory proteins in arthritic joints. Oh, that's joints. huge. That's yeah. huge. So it, it's, it's working, and that's the ultimate question, and that's what everybody's always debated uh, because you, you see clinical studies either looking at bioavailability or you see studies looking at efficacy. But it's very, very rare to see studies that are doing both, looking at efficacy and bioavailability, because they, they don't tend to agree with each other. And, you know, on one hand, a, a researcher can say, you know, serum levels in these human trials were extremely low and it's just not even worth pursuing. And then you can have another study looking at neo-osteoarthritis in a, in a person and the person benefits clinically um, in a very short period of time. So something something else is going on there. And, and you know, I've always believed um, personally that when you look at the inflammatory process, it's a um, it, it revolves around cellular signaling and cells talking to each other. And cells throughout the body talk to each other through protein release. And so it's kind of like, um, I think as, as I had mentioned to Tigger once, that it's it's kind of like, telling somebody a secret here on the East coast and having that secret transferred or, or move across the country to the West coast. And so it's not a matter of absorption. It's a matter of getting that signal or that, that secret set in the pathway. And then it basically takes off from there. So my, my personal feelings are is that curcumin actually works through the GI tract, uh, working through the immune system at the GI level um, which then turns on or turns off signaling, which then impacts the rest of the body. And that has been shown in a few uh, research trials here more recently on the human side. So um, we know it's working, uh, but it just, 
it goes against what most researchers are trying to show in terms of bioavailability, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you and I have talked about this, but we know that there's a lot of turmeric and curcumin formulations on the market that include piperine or black pepper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit for both of us, since we're both on the same yeah. side of that fence, <laughs> um, sure. about yeah. piperine? Yeah, you know, I, I've, I've never actually used it. Piperine or black pepper, you know, when they use it in combination, and, you, you know, black pepper is, is, is an herb itself used, and there are some benefits to it. But when used with curcumin, it does um, um, inhibit um, um, conjugation of the liver level. So what it does is it prevents basically the curcumin from being broken down, thus, quote-unquote, making it more bioavailable to the body. Um, and, and it does increase serum levels. There's no doubt about it. But when you look at the, the timelines with serum levels and increasing it, it's generally about two to three hours post-ingestion. So if you take it at 8 o'clock in the morning, usually by 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning, you're going to have peak levels. And then it dra- drastically drops off very, very quickly. Um, so you have to raise the question of, okay, you know, is it even worth it? Because when you really look at even the levels of piperine or adding it to the curcumin, it's really not dramatically that much higher than just taking curcumin by itself. So mm-hmm. you have to kind of step back and look at it again. I've never utilized black pepper with the herbs. So if you just step back and look at turmeric itself or curcumin that, you know, obviously comes from turmeric there, it's a fat soluble herb. Uh, just like several vitamins are fat soluble, either they're fat soluble or water soluble. So, in, in reality, taking curcumin with a meal or turmeric with a meal um, that contains fat is going to automatically enhance the uh, absorption of bioavailability of that herb uh, just naturally because it's fat soluble. And in a lot of research studies, they they I, from what I can gather, most of the time when they're doing serum levels on these human patients, um, uh, there's no mention of food. So I don't know whether if these patients are fasted when they're administering the curcumin, um, and that is what's impacting bioavailability. Um, is that why we have such good results in horses? Because the, the curcumin and other herbs are given with a meal that's obviously mm-hmm. going to contain natural fats. You know, we really don't know. Uh, but turmeric itself, turmeric contains natural volatile oils that are present in it. And so given that, if you step back, you know, and you look at the, the creator above who created these, these, these plants, these herbs, those natural oils are present for obvious reasons because the, the chemical constituents of the, that herb, curcumin being one of them, is fat-soluble. So the oils are present to actually naturally enhance the absorption. So what we use for the most part is a uh, there's a patented... 95% extract called BCM95, and we've used it for probably about 10 years now. And the difference is, is that it's a, it's a concentrated extract of curcumin, but it's added back to the volatile oils from the turmeric root. So they're extracting the oils from the turmeric root, extracting the curcumin, and then they're combining the two together. So we're actually enhancing absorption just through the natural volatile oils that are present. And looking at their studies and and that product itself, BCM95, is out of India by a company called Arjuna. And looking at their comparison studies, they've got about seven times the blood level of even a piperine extract. And their blood levels maintain for about six to eight hours post-ingestion versus two to three hours with something like a uh, piperine. Um, So we use, you know, for the most part, like I said, we use BCM95, but even, you know, in some patients we've used straight up 95% curcumin extract, but we will, um, you know, we always use it in combination with other herbs and we will combine it with um, generally some fat providing herbs such as flax um, or even add a little bit of oil to the feed um, just to enhance absorption. And to be honest with you, just a straight curcumin extract combined with other herbs, as long as we've got a fat medium, works pretty well. Do you find that it makes any difference what the horse is eating when they take curcumin? In other words, if they're on a highly processed diet, does it take longer to work? If they're on a whole food diet, does it work quicker? Well, you're opening up a whole can of worms there. (laughs) I I love to open up cans of worms. Um, You know... I, I've never really looked at it in terms of, you know, does it work better oh, for on a whole food diet? Tom. 
<laughs> I knew you were going down that road. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you're, if you're opening up the whole book, you know, in terms of, of, you know, diets that, that takes us back to, you know, the inflammatory process and, and, uh, you know, for, for decades on the human side, um, you know, and most of our research that we look into is, is extracted from the human side. So we, we look at human research that's of interest and we start to dive into it in horses because there's really no huge difference between the species other than they walk on four and we walk on two. Um, and maybe our hindguts are a little bit different, but aside from that, um, there's a lot of similarities. So when you start to raise the question of diet, then I start to raise the question of, okay, do we have leaky gut syndromes going on in these horses, you know, that is mirroring what they are seeing in human, um, research. And, and the answer to that is, is, is yes. And, um, uh, so going along those lines, you know, if we want to start talking about leaky gut, leaky gut syndrome is then tied into the inflammatory response, which is then tied into immune dysfunction. So to answer your question, the whole food versus commercial foods, um, or processed diets. Um, yeah, I, I do lean towards the whole food diets. Um, and the one research study we did last year, I think with 83 horses, I believe in the study, um, we were looking at changes in the microbiome present in horse feces, um, looking at some research that had been done over the past decade in, in metabolic or laminitic horses showing that they had a overgrowth of lactobacillus um, uh, bacteria present, which is normally a very, very small percentage of the uh, microbiome. But in laminated horses, they were seeing a much larger percentage. And so what we did is we looked at 83 horses, culturing out lactobacillus, and indeed, there is a direct connection between higher lactobacillus counts and certain pathologies in the horses, whether if it's metabolic or COPD, um, inflammatory airway disease, um, there's definitely a connection there. And as part of the trial, we were looking at certain parameters uh, to indicate that maybe we might have some leaky gut going on. And so we did have a connection. The higher the lactobacillus count, the more evidence there was of leaky gut. So the conclusion, which I know you're very well aware of, Tigger, was is that yeah. the higher the lactobacillus count, the more indications we had of leaky gut. Mm -hmm. That group of horses were on processed feeds. And second off, to put the, the, the uh, icing on the cake is, is that most of those horses were also fed, um, I believe, a minimum of five or more synthetic-based supplements, oh, synthetic boy. meaning artificial ingredients. Um, so, you know, if we're looking at a vitamin C um, or vitamin E or a lot of the other vitamins and minerals, uh, they're present in their synthetic form versus whole food form. So um, the 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 conclusion to that trial was is that the horses that had the lowest lactobacillus counts and least evidence of leaky gut, those owners actually either fed no grains or they fed something as simple as whole oats or whole sunflower seeds or whole barley, and they did not utilize um, synthetic-based vitamin mineral supplements. Does that answer your question? I knew you were looking <laughs> Perfectly. <for>. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, thank you so much. I want to um, remind everyone you can go to novelresearch.com and find the line of Curost products, I think all of which have the curcumin extract in them. Am, am I correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. um, and really, if you're looking for curcumin or turmeric, Curost is the place to go because Tom really is the Dr. Turmeric um, <laughs> of our industry. <laughs> And so I, I highly recommend his products and he's, he's very easy to talk to, as you can see. The last time we talked, which was, no, I don't know, less than a week ago, our usual conversations are about two hours <laughs> because we just get yeah. going. Um, yep. So thank you very much, Tom, for being on Healthy You're Critters. very welcome. And um, I encourage everybody to, you know, email Tom or go to his website and he, he makes excellent whole food turmeric formulas. Hello, Hedwig. Tigger and Patty, oh my God, what an amazing thing that you have called right now. Why? What are you doing? Do you know where we are? Do you no. have any idea? No. no. We are waiting for 
Happy birthday! <laughs> well, Tigger. I am shaking, shaking with excitement. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I Actually, I want a cheeseburger. <laughs> well, you can't have mine, Patty. Forget oh. it. Okay, okay. I was just kidding, Hetty. I would never take one of your cheeseburgers. Yeah, I will would, order would one live. for you if you'd like. That's very sweet of you, but I think it would be very cold by the time I got it. Probably, yeah. Now it's yeah. stuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a question for you, Hetty. Well, I have answers. <laughs> we want to know what your advice is to other dogs whose owners may be experiencing the blues, sort of bummed out, depressed. Um, what's your advice to dogs dealing with um, humans who don't feel so good? Well, so I think there are always two approaches to this sort of thing, and I recommend trying each one to see what works best. The first thing you can do is be especially attentive to your human. That is what my sister does. Should my human be anxious or worried about something, she becomes more protective of the human and it's always sticking right close to her. Yes, right close, right against the leg, running down the aisle to see what is wrong, taking piles of clothing, lying on them. I mean, these are certainly comforting things that a dog can do, especially a sweet sort of dog like my sister. So that's really one option. Yes, one option. And I do that too in the mornings, for example, regardless of whether my human servant is sad or not, I go up for my scratchies and therefore give her great pleasure to give me scratchies. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> and then the other option is, should you feel that your servant is malingering more than actually suffering from a problem, You, what you need to do is remind that person that he or she has a responsibility to a small dog and that go. really anything else is me. There it is. <laughs> there it is, Tigger. We knew it. We knew it. Well, Hetty, I think that's very reasonable. Okay, Hetty, well... Uh, enjoy your cheeseburger and thanks for the tips, which we will pass on to um, all the canines out there. Yes. Oh, yeah. And one other thing I forgot to mention just quickly. If your servant is really sad, you can offer them a small bit of your cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice gesture. What happens there. if they're a vegetarian? then they have so many problems that you probably can't save them. <laughs> you Wise open the door, words. <laughs> you open the door. I did. Well, thank you, Teddy, so much. That was very good advice. Bye. Okay, bye, Teddy. So we are at our Tigapedia section of our show today, and um, I, uh, I know, Jennifer, you would like to weigh in on this topic, too. There's um, a lot of stuff that's out there, and um, Tigger, I want to talk to you or ask you questions about fly spray. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, you know, I, I always um, there, there's such a broad spectrum of things that, that we can obviously do with fly sprays and horses and whatever. And I, I have two specific questions that I would like to ask you um, about. And then Jennifer, whatever you feel, please lead away. But my first question is: I know I have, there's a lot of people out there because fly season is coming, and they all say the same thing. Well, why don't we just do the feed throughs? Do these feed throughs work? I have never used the uh, garlic feed-throughs. Right. But antidotally, I have heard from a number of people that on some horses it works really well, on some horses it works moderately, and some horses not at all. And okay. it may have to do with the quality of the garlic that oh. the company is using. So I think the best garlic products for horses is made by springtime feed 
Yes, I. That is so interesting that you said it because I have a friend that used to use springtime um, products, and one of the things that she loved, I believe, was their feed through fly stuff, which was a garlic supplement. Yeah, so, I, they have the best quality garlic that I have been able to ascertain. Okay. Okay. All right. So, because um, I, you know, I have d- different people that have talked about different types of feed foods, and and obviously some of these are going to be more synthetic and have other stuff. I know they're. Um, um, I'm trying to think of the one product uh, that I know a lot of people use around here, and they say it's great, but it is obviously it's synthetic, but it's also. Um, and it's not, it's got some garlic base to it, but nothing, you know, all natural, but, um, but every horse on the farm has to be on it. You know what I mean? It's not like mm-hmm. you can just eat your own horse. So you've got to, so, I mean, years ago, I don't know if you remember this. I used to do the fly predators. Yep. And, I still and, do them. Yeah. And I really always felt like that was kind of a nice avenue, um, to try to do that. But if you don't do that and you have to go to a topical, what is your recommendation for topical? If somebody wanted to stay holistic you know, and, and keep it real simple. What do you feel works? Okay. So, um, there are three basic recipes that I personally use. Okay. So get your pencil and paper. Oh, I have it. I already wrote, I wrote three <laughs> recipes. Please, Miss Pedia, continue. So the first one is the easiest one. It's one quart of apple cider and one teaspoon of citronella oil. Now, the key is the citronella oil. You have to get it from a health food store. It's 100% pure. You don't buy the stuff that you use for, you know, citronella candles at the hardware store. Okay. Okay. And so, okay, say that again. It was how one much apple One quart apple cider vinegar and one teaspoon citronella oil. Okay. My horse is going to smell like a pickle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they, you, you, they, you, you do get the scent of maybe you want to toss a salad. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, you may get Would a you little. You like hungry. croutons with that, ma'am? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good name for a horse crouton. Oh, I it like it for a little name. kid's pony crouton. Yeah. Oh, right? that would be adorable. Buckskin. Oh my crouton. gosh. Oh, toasted crouton. <laughs> Only if it's a quarter horse, it would be toasted crouton. Oh, God, that is so cute. Okay, sorry, sideline Okay, there. so the right. second <laughs> recipe is two cups of white vinegar. Right, okay. One tablespoon of eucalyptus oil and a cup of water. Okay. And the third one is one I actually got from Dr. Joyce Harmon, the veterinar- oh. holistic veterinarian. Yeah. She uses as a base witch hazel. Okay. And then she adds one ounce of citronella or one ounce of tea tree or one ounce of eucalyptus oil. She said that you could also combine all three oils, but not more than that. So her base is witch hazel, then an ounce of citronella or an ounce of tea tree oil or an ounce of eucalyptus or... You know, and I'm guessing if you've got really bad big deer flies and stuff like that, just combine all three of those essential oils with the witch hazel. Okay. So out of the three that you've done, which one which one do you use the most? Oh, the apple cider vinegar with citronella. And how long do you think that stays on their coat and repels the flies? Okay, so... Let me back up. There are some things that I do to reduce the fly population. Right. Fly predators. Right. Diatomaceous earth. And do you remember, Patty, the Amish fly repellent? I don't know. It's where you take the plastic Ziploc bags, fill them up with water, put the penny in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I have that, you know, in the summer outside of each of the stalls. Well, remember, I used to do that at, at Farfield. When we yes. Had, yeah. At the yeah. grooming area and stuff. And yeah. it really, it's so stupid, but it really works. Well, and, and we should tell people the whole point in what this is supposed to work is that they, um, it's supposed to um, scare the flies away, I guess, for better lack of a better term. The reflection. The reflection, because they think it's um, a predator, right? Isn't it supposed to reflect, isn't it supposed to... Um, that's what someone had told me that it's supposed, I don't know if there's a wasp that eats certain flies or whatever, but it's supposed to represent some sort of predator to them. Have you heard that? 
I thought that they just got scared at their reflection of the light and the water and that. Huh. Because you say you, you put a penny in. I uh-huh. never put a penny. I just did I a little a Ziploc in. bag. Have you ever heard of that, Jennifer, before? No, I have not heard specifically of the Amish version. I have heard of the version where you put water in a plastic bag. Right. And you hang it up and it's supposed to repel the flies. Yes. I have never talked to anybody who's either tried it or had an opinion about it except on uh, Mythbusters. That's the only place I've ever seen it. I've never heard doing it with a penny. That's that's, that's a new I've one. never heard of the penny part of it either. Hey, what have you got to lose? A Ziploc baggie and a penny. Right. And, and penny. some water. And yeah. water. I've wasted a lot more money on that than lots of other things, so why not try it, right? Well, and I i mean, like we were talking about, I, I have used the Ziploc bag before, and I do feel like it helped. Um, Tigger, Tigger says she feels that her thing helps, too. You which know what is, my you favorite know, one is? What? A really, a fan turned on high. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad one. Little buggers, as soon as they take off, whoosh, they're gone. <laughs> but I, I think the point that we're getting to is, you can't just rely on fly spray. You have to have right. a multi. It's a multifaceted. Yes, yes, absolutely. You do. Uh, the fly predators. I have. I have never heard. A, I have not not heard anything but fantastic reviews about fly predators. Right. Thank you very much, fly predator people. You right. need to advertise with us. Yeah. Um, yes. 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 Hello. Absolutely. Uh, I've never heard anything but good reports from them. Mm-hmm. Um, now you have to have a specific situation for them to work properly. Right. Um, yes. Fly, you do. I love the I love your fly spray recipes. The one I'm using right now is commercially available, but all of the ingredients are just essential oils from right. eucalyptus and citronella and I think there's I want to say there's rosemary in there and I think there's one other. I want to it's some, some, some something that smells a little bit like cinnamon in there. And well, then you know, mix it with water and you know it's reasonably effective. It's interesting. We um, they there's been a lot of rain in Houston, as we have talked about in previous episodes. But um, along with that came these biting gnats. They made mm. national news, and it was interesting. <laughs> it's Seriously, national was, news gnat. I mean, it was really. <laughs> what kind of what was, kind of bugs are those? It's the national uh, news gnat. Uh, national news gnats. <laughs> They're NNNNAs, but um, they uh, no. Uh, National news N and G's. N A D N and G's. Okay, that's true. <laughs> but they said vanilla. Use good old fashioned vanilla. And I I use essential oils. I use uh, frankincense and lavender every day. And I was not being bitten by them. And I kept thinking it must have been the frankincense or the lavender. Uh, and I gave that to some other people. It didn't work the same. So uh, the the TV was recommending use. Um, just drops of vanilla. Kind of interesting. So there, it's huh. amazing what different things, but I guess they're also, you know, those types of bugs are also affected or attracted to your, your breath. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, there's a lot of them that this, the carbon dioxide is an attractant. Yeah. That's mosquitoes amongst them. Yeah. Right. And, and there are so many different kinds of flies. I learned this chatting with a, a gentleman who is in the bug spray business mm-hmm. that, the flies that you see in the bar and the little black no, ones that we career. all call house flies. Yeah. Yeah. Not all house flies. Some of them are one kind of fly and the others are one's a blood sucking fly and one isn't. Even yeah. though they look exactly the same. And they hatch in different conditions. One hatches in manure and the other hatches in decomposing organic matter, like leaf piles of leaves. And he right. was going through all these different scenarios. I think it was the guy that makes the fly predators now that I think about that. Huh. Um, understanding how the flies feed and understanding or bugs more accurately for this conversation. Understanding how they how they feed and what conditioned under what conditions they hatch under allows you to change your management strategies to attack the particular kind of bug that you've got bothering your animals. Well it's wow. hard for us well, that made sense because right next to the barn, across the driveway, is a composting area where they compost dead leaves. Guess what we've got? Wow. Jillions of flies that hatch under those conditions. So there's nothing we wow. can do about it. It's in the next door neighbors. Right. Um, and it's great compost. Grows great vegetables, but not really great for the for the horses for flies. So we've really started using heavily this uh, the herbal formula, which was very similar to the, the the third one you explained, 
the citronella tea tree eucalyptus it's, with witch hazel. With, with witch hazel. It's very similar to that. It doesn't have the cit- the citronella, I think, is the one it doesn't have in it. But it's very similar. Interesting, so, yeah. And I'm I'm very pleased with it in that it works just as long as the nasty synthetic stuff that kills everything on Earth. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it lasts just as long. It doesn't cost. Yeah, that was me my anymore. question that had asked Tigger. So that's it. That's a good. That's a well, good. That the key is the oil. Yeah, because yeah. the oils are it's what, what sticks, stays yeah. sticks. And yeah. when I say it lasts just as long, that means I have to put it on twice a day. But right, this, that's not bad. Right. But the but the nasty toxic stuff I have to put on twice a day too. So yeah. not yeah. losing anything. <laughs> yeah. One no, thing exactly. I wanted to say is you remember there was the um, I think it's still around. There's a. Uh, fly spray recipe that uses a Avon skin so soft. Yes. There's many of those. Yes. yes. And the reason I don't use it is two reasons. One, it's just loaded with chemicals, even though it has a wonderful scent. And Avon is one of the companies out there that still tests on rabbits, really? putting the chemicals oh. in their eyes. Oh, and so- I, yeah, I, oh. I just, I can't support a company that does that. So, I can't either. I didn't know anybody did that anymore. Yep. Right? You know, it's amazing. Like L'Oreal does it. I Get mean, out of here. Bun- yes. A bunch of them. Shame S- on you. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Shame on you. So the so the conclusions to Tigapedia, our take-home message from Tigapedia Fly Sprays <laughs> is have a multi-prong approach. Yes. Fly predators are your friend. Yes. Yep. So is diatomaceous earth. And diatomaceous earth is your friend. Yeah. We'll save that for another conversation on good uses for diatomaceous earth because it, it's a multitasker. Yes, right? it is. And we'll save that for another one later on. And the third takeaway is Amish fly repellent. Uh, oh, that's th- that's three. Right. Amish right. fly repellent. And number four is there are good natural herbal base recipes yes. out there that are effective when used appropriately. So yes. Yes. if you didn't write them down, uh, you need to hit the hit the rewind button. <laughs> right. We and take we we can, we should post this on the Facebook page because a lot of people That's a good idea. will Put like this. On your Facebook page. And I also think something so important to also mention is that um indeed Tigger many of my questions can be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll end with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Critter Nutrition. Uh, Today we're going to talk about stress and the gut-brain connection. One of the most common issues in horses of all lifestyles and ages is stomach ulcers, also known as equine gastric ulcer syndrome. Signs of this health challenge can be weight loss, poor body condition and hair coat, reduced appetite, decreased performance, poor attitude, including irritability, resistance, reluctance to go forward, increased spookiness, less focus, girthiness, sensitivity to being groomed, and colic. The underlying root of gastric ulcers is stress. The stress can come from a variety of causes, training stress, shipping stress, competition stress, large meals of processed feeds, limited hay, limited pasture, medications, and illness. There is also the stress from a horse in a new turnout situation with a new pasture mate or being moved to a new barn or stall, the stress of the humans around the horse, the stress of the rider and the trainer, the stress of the other horses. There can be stress from abrupt weather pattern changes as well as long-term weather extremes like like drought. The conventional approach to ulcers is the use of omeprazole, also known as Gastrogard. This proton pump inhibitor reduces gastric acid secretion. It literally turns it off to give the mucosa time to heal. There is no question that omeprazole works, and most horses with gastric ulcers are healed within four to six weeks. But oftentimes, we see horses treated for gastric ulcers develop another gastric ulcer weeks or months after treatment. Back on to omeprazole, these horses go, and the merry-go-round of medicine and relapse continues. When a horse feels stress, the body ramps up the production of cortisol from the adrenal gland. The horse's brain releases norepinephrine and communicates with the gut, sending news of stress 
altering what it would normally do so that the mind and gut can fight off the imminent stressor. This is a beneficial response to imminent stress, the fight or flight reaction. Chronic stress, however, causes the stress hormones like cortisol to be released frequently. The brain-gut axis triggers low-grade inflammation, resulting in decreased nutrient absorption and less blood flow to the GI tract. Chronic stress disrupts the immune system, desensitizing it to cortisol and heightening the inflammatory response. Excess cortisol can increase blood sugar levels, decrease protein synthesis, lower immune function, and reduce prostaglandin production. Prostaglandins in the GI tract protect the mucosa from the acids of the stomach. High levels of cortisol over a period of time have effects on the brain. Neuroscientists at the University of California, Berkeley, have found that chronic stress triggers changes in brain function and structure. Some of the effects on the brain of chronic stress include reduced ability to learn or remember. It can shrink the hypocamus and prefrontal cortex that is critical for control of impulsive behavior. And it reduces levels of critical neurotransmitters, including serotonin and dopamine, which play an important role in mood, learning, concentration, appetite, and sleep. There are two kinds, fundamentally, of of stressed horses. You have the equine internalizer and the equine extrovert. The equine extrovert generally makes it very clear to the humans that he or she does not feel good and is stressed. This is the horse who overreacts to stimuli, who lets you know in no uncertain terms there is a boogeyman in the corner of the arena. These horses don't hide the fact that their tummies hurt. The equine internalizer is a much more difficult read. This is the horse that doesn't display outward symptoms of stress. These are the stoic horses, the ones that are harder to read and the symptoms more subtle. We treat for gastric ulcers and then they return. Unless we eliminate all stress or all that our horse perceives as stress, it can be a constant merry-go-round. Equine calmers focus on the symptoms of stress, mainly the overactive, spooky, lack of concentration in horses. While these equine supplement calmers do work, they are missing a vital component. They don't deal with cortisol. When I formulated Biostar's Equilibrium many years ago, it was with with my eye on the role of stress. That's why Equilibrium contains ashwagandha the Ayurvedic plant that has been clinically tested for its ability to reduce cortisol and its contribution to increasing serotonin in the brain. Equilibrium has helped a lot of horses, and yet for some horses it wasn't strong enough. So this winter I started testing a small group of horses on a new formula, using Equilibrium ground up as powder and adding another important Ayurvedic plant, holy basil, also known as tulsi. Holy basil is one of the sacred plants of Ayurvedic medicine. Like ashwagandha, it reduces cortisol and supports glandular, endocrine, and circulatory balance within the body system. For additional neurotransmitter support, particularly for serotonin, I added a milk protein called casein. This milk protein is also in Biostar's Theracom canine the only calming formula that was able to stop my dog Crockett's car sickness and put all four of my Australian shepherds into a sound sleep for several hours. A study published in 2010, Nutritional Neuroscience by Choi, compared the ability of different proteins to raise the levels of brain neurotransmitters that influence mood. The study showed that in the cortex... The level of serotonin was 10 times higher after eating casein as compared to proteins from soy, wheat, barley, corn, and rye. I added undenatured whey protein to the formula because a protein found in undenatured whey protein called alpha-lactobumin can reduce cortisol and raise brain serotonin activity. An ever-growing body of study has shown that whey proteins and their peptides have a wide range of biological activities, including protection of the gastric mucosa by endogenous 
prostaglandin synthesis. Several studies have indicated that the quality of whey protein may play an important role in protection against gastric ulcers. Considering the gut-brain connection, adding undenatured whey protein is important support for horses under stress. Both casein and undenatured whey protein provide high amounts of the amino acid glutamine that plays an important role in healing intestinal mucosa and also nourishes the epithelial cells that line the small intestine. We tested this new formula, Theracami Q, on a number of different horses, from hunters and jumpers with a lot of blood to layup horses to dressage horses and even a moody mare. The results in some cases were dramatic. Owners seen an improvement within 24 hours. The higher the stress in the horse, the quicker the results were apparent. Horses with moderate to low chronic stress needed to take Theracami Q for a longer period of time to show the benefits of reduced cortisol, a happy GI tract, and increased brain serotonin. This unique blend of foods and plants that provide real biological support for horses under stress will be available soon from Biostar. The combination of cortisol reduction, serotonin production, and GI support make Theracom EQ an important nutritional whole food solution for horses under stress. So we are now at Coffee Clutch. Ta-da! Ta-da! And we've decided to figure out what is the best vacation spots with your dogs and cats or chickens, whatever (laughs) floats your boat. Not sure how I'd feel about someone showing up somewhere with a chicken. I don't know that the best best vacation spot for dog is ever going to be the best best vacation spot (laughs) for chicken. You don't know that. Do you have have a chicken you travel with? You just don't know. You just don't know. And, you know, you just, you, you never know. I never thought that people would travel with their cats, and I did it. So, you know, what do I know? Um, so, um, so Tiggs, what what have you come up with? I mean, because this was sort of an interesting thing. Tigger and I had a conversation about this earlier, Jennifer, which was basically that um, because my dogs are with me all the time, when I vacation, I don't know to bring them with all. me. But then it made me also realize – I don't vacation, so which got me depressed, which we're not going to talk about that. But um, so, Digger, um, okay, so let, let's ask this question. Jennifer, have you ever gone on vacation with your animals, your dogs, not your horses, dogs, or cats? I have taken my dog on vacation. Where'd, where'd you go? We went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Ah, and okay. And we rented a lovely cabin. Awesome. As did our friends, and they were dog-friendly cabins. Oh, fun. Yes, and it was a lovely vacation. I would go back to Gatlinburg many, many times. It's great. Can't can't say enough nice things about it. Now, to qualify that, we have a greyhound who loves to sleep 23 and a half hours a day. Right. So in the morning, we would get up and we'd take a lovely walk up and down the remote mountainside roads where our cabin was for half an hour. And she would be exhausted and had no desire to go outside again until evening. Wow. So we would go off and do our thing all day long, and then we'd get back in the evening, and she'd say, okay, let's go for another half an hour walk, and she was done. It was not, not the kind of a place where you, if you have a high-energy dog, weren't a lot of off-leash opportunities. Okay. Um, now, if you had a dog that liked to ride along with you on the bike, that would you know obediently follow on the bicycle, you could do that if you were really, really fit, because everything was either straight up or straight down. Right. <laughs> but if you if you have a dog who's happy with walking on a leash a few times a day and you want to hang out at the cabin and just relax, yeah. excellent vacation with your dog. Very relaxing. Well, it's so interesting, as I'm sure we all found in this whole thing, how many places there are out there for you to specifically go on a vacation with your dog. Not take your dog with you, but go on a vacation with your dog. I know. I never knew there were such places until I started the surf. I know. I was shocked by this. I mean, I Tigger, weren't you kind of blown away, or did you know that? I was both blown away, <laughs> and I had this feeling that there was a percentage of the dog-owning population that probably had unique resorts just for yeah. humans and dogs. Yeah. 
I, I was so blown away when I got into some of these and I was like, like I said to you earlier, I was like, oh, I'm sure that these have just been around for a year or two. And one of them was 27 years. And yeah, I thought, that's okay, amazing. Yeah, that, that kind of blew me away. So, um, so Tig, how about you? Have you ever gone on vacation with your animals? No. Yeah. Um, I've, <laughs> yeah. I've always worked. I mean, I, my dogs have gone with me when I work and I have to travel on the road. Right. Um, but generally, my vacationing is limited to going to see family twice a right. year. Right. And it's always on an airplane because they live in the West. Right. Um, so the dogs don't get to come. But the it, one of the advantages um, has been that I, in my travels before I ever did Biostar, um, I, I've, you know, I've traveled in every state except Alaska. Right. Um, so I kind of know what, where the pet friendly, um, places are. Right. And so I have sort of a list of like my top four. Okay, cool. What are they? <laughs> so, um, the first one is Bozeman, Montana. Oh, cool. And it is, um, obviously it's in Montana, but it's where it's situated in Montana, depending on which entrance of Yellowstone National Park you want to go in, um, you're either an hour and a half or two hours from two different gateways into the park. And right. Bozeman is this really cool, hip town um, where dogs are everywhere. And in fact, retailers put bowls of water out. So oh, when that you walk is in your do- so neat. Oh, it's so, yeah. I, every t- you know, it, it, my mother lives outside of Bozeman. So um, I'm in Bozeman at least once a year. And every time I go into Bozeman and I'm walking down the street and there's like, as many dogs as people Pretty and they're all stopping to, you know, drink or sit at cafes or even go into some stores and you're so close to Yellowstone and you can take your dog into Yellowstone as oh, long as it's awesome. on a leash. Right. So Yellowstone of course is worth, you know, every, every American should go to Yellowstone at least once in their life and how great to bring your dog along too. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, Bozeman is, uh, at the top of my list. Um, Second is Kenny Bunkport, Maine. Uh, I, I love Maine, um, but Kenny Bunkport happens to have a specific hotel called Captain Jeffords Inn. Okay. And you get to stay in these little carriage houses with your dog. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. And Maine is such a beautiful place. Yeah. And you've got beaches and and forests and great weather and it's it's a wonderful 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 place to visit uh yeah. carmel california mm-hmm. i love carmel and to drive down you know from san francisco stop in carmel for a few days and then take the the pacific highway down along big sur into santa barbara i mean you know it's yeah. fantastic in carmel there are no leash laws on the beach oh cool so I love that it's it's really dog friendly there. And my last choice, which isn't my last choice, but of the top four, right. is Cape Cod. Really? Oh, it, it, that is a spectacular place. And yeah. it's big, you know, it's a big been. area. Um, there's lots of pet friendly hotels and lots of pet friendly beaches. Right. Okay. So, um, that, that would be a great vacation, just going up to Cape Cod for a week. Gee, well, why don't I do that now? Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> you have the technology. I do. And the car. And the car. And the dogs. And the dogs. I think what I found so interesting in this whole process, because, you know, the first thing I thought of um, was, you know, I have a, a, a fifth wheel uh, RV trailer, and um, which I bought to go to live in in Florida and come back and forth so I could have my animals with me. And the thing that I love about having this is that you can stop at any RV park. Most of these of which will take dogs, you have to, there are certain rules and regulations to it. They have to be on leashes as well. But it, the, it, there are so many places where you can just stop and sort of have your house on wheels and have your animals right there and make it feel, talk about not causing stress. I mean, that makes it a little bit easier on the animals. And they're all over the country to do that. I mean, you can, you know, go all over the country, but I think what I was so overwhelmed by was all these different vacation sites, which I think we all probably looked up, but I think my favorite, there was two of my favorite, um, 
There was one called flipflopdogs.com. Did you guys see that one? I saw that no. one. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of neat because that led you to a, a bunch of other things. One other site was takeyourpet.com. All of these are sites. Um, some are ones that you can join their club and they'll send you updates, but very easy to nav- navigate and go through. But I heard of two camps that were pretty cool. One was called Camp Unleashed and Camp Gone to the Dogs. <laughs> cute right and all of these have like these and they have you know all the information and i think there's a lot of this all over the country um where you can find these these um websites that have these type of camps but these are i want to clarify these are vacations with your dogs not a vacation you can bring your dog these are vacations with your dogs that they will have activities for your dogs like example one of these um Okay, what did it say? There was one that had, um, you know, dog massages. <laughs> um, it's like a spa for your dog. Yes, it's like, yeah. it's like a spa. And then there was another one you could teach your, your dog to like water ski or something like that. And I thought, okay, wow. <laughs> I mean, wow. It really I can see is my, camp for your dog. It's camp for your dogs. Yeah. And, I, 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 um, and again, uh, one of the things uh, about French bulldogs, which of course I have too, is they sink. Oh, <laughs> so they would, they'd probably... Skiing. No, no, so they wouldn't do that. So anything, and you know, if somebody has an idea of that, do if you have a specific breed, make sure that wherever you go, these are things that your your specific breeds can do because there are obviously some limitations to some breeds. But um, but so many, so many, so many cool things, so many cool things with all of that. But I two places that I saw that I thought kind of surprised me um, was. Austin, Texas uh, was one of the number one, I don't know if you guys saw that, was one of the number one places um, that you could, that have a lot of dog friendly places, lots, mm -hmm. same sort of like what you were talking about in Montana, Tigger, where you, Mm -hmm. lots of, you know, um, and it's such a cool hip place, Um, same sort of thing, cafes with the water bowl, you know, all of that kind of stuff, but also, uh, Bozeman is a little bit more rural than Austin. (laughs) Yeah, I bet, oh, I bet, (laughs) I bet, um, but the other place was Sanibel um, Island. Island. Oh, in yes. Florida. I wish I, that came up several times in my search, which I thought was interesting. But same thing, where you a lot of places where you can bring your dogs, bring your dogs, not actually go on vacation with your dogs. But I thought that was so interesting. I learned a lot by looking Dewey at Dewey Beach, Delaware, another one. Really? Dewey Beach, Delaware. And they have a lot of because they have a, a dog-friendly beach there, they have a lot of actual events. And that's one of the things when Glenn and I go on vacation, we love to find events to go to as part of our vacation. Right. And they have, oh, a half a dozen or so giant-sized doggy events at Dewey Beach each year. Wow. So that's a really fun one in, in Delaware. And uh, there's another one called Wolfstock in Toronto, Canada. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> love it. Wolfstock, love the sound. Yeah, Wolfstock yeah. is the largest... Outdoor Dog Festival in North America. Wow. See, I mean, would you have ever known that? I, I would, would never not. have known. I would not have known this. If they I, if... get 200,000 people come to visit this <gasps> thing. That's bizarre. That's crazy. And it's yeah. and you can bring your dog to watch the dog stuff. Oh, gosh. So, again, that's another one that you can plan your vacation around okay. Wolfstock. Yeah. Tigger's <laughs> oh. awesome. writing that one down. Yeah, so I am. It's next weekend. Oh my gosh! Damn. <laughs> Pack Sabi's bandana in his bag, yeah. <laughs> buddy. We're going on the road. Yeah, that's right. This we're was going such a this was such a fun coffee clutch because it's it really yeah it's a part of the universe I never knew existed. I like I agree. I was totally shocked by what I found by just putting in favorite places or good places to vacation with your dogs, and I was like, wow, kind of cool. And you know what really surprised me was the amount of if you don't want to stay in a hotel and you want to go to one specific area and just stay there, like Carmel, for instance, or Sanibel, that you can rent a, a house. I know. I know. And yeah. bring your dog. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool. So maybe we should we should mention some of the websites. Yes. Um, yes. Bringfido.com. I, I use that when I travel for business just to find out if I'm where I'm going, if there's a pet-friendly hotel. Um, the Choice Hotel Chains, which is Comfort Inn, Quality, Clarion, Econolodge, Roadway, Take Pets. Others are the Days Inn, some of the Hilton Hotels, mm-hmm. La Quinta, Motel 6, and Red Roof Inn. Right. And some Best Westerns. 
and some best westerns. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to HealthyCrittersRadio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. (laughs) Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. And cuddle your cows. (laughs) 